Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Heavenly Father, please give us ears and hearts to receive your word this morning. Please bless my preaching to be true and useful to your purposes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Customarily, it's much more enjoyable to preach on a topic where I feel like as the preacher I have some traction of experience or some sense of like at least partial accomplishment. And so I can say, hey, here's what I've experienced about this and let me preach to you and here's the word and here's my encounter with it. Um, this is one of the painful Sundays, and I say painful, literally, it was very painful kind of to write the sermon this morning, where I realized that the message of today's gospel doesn't really a- a- admit of partial fulfillments. It's really a sort of all or nothing. And that it's something that I have not actually fully stepped into. And this caused me pain to realize my own a sort of um, a profound immaturity in my own discipleship. And so some of you maybe already have... Um, internalize this lesson, but I want to just to be transparent that I'm speaking to you this morning from a place of like, no, this gospel has cut me down. And like, uh, there is a call that Christ is extending to my soul, and I hope also to perhaps to some of your souls of like, wow, the, what it means to be a disciple. You hear that phrase repeated three times, cannot be my disciple, um, is a very potent and strong calling. It's given three different um, verbiages in the gospel. Um, the verse I just quoted, renounce all that he has. In verse 26, the culmination of things which we hate, which is a confusing passage in itself, which I have to leave aside for a different time of teaching. But he says to hate your own life. To hate your own life. And then the verse later, verse 27, to bear your own cross, which I think we always run the risk because of our familiarity with the saving symbol of the cross of forgetting the extreme gravity of that statement. To bear your own crucifixion instrument following Christ. This is a challenge which um, I feel like my own seeking to follow Christ is yet to fully step into. I'm grateful for those who have and join in calling us forward into this total renunciation of self. St. Paul, of course, is one such. In Galatians, when he says in chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I, no longer the ego, his sort of center of himself operating his own life, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is not a poetic metaphor. He's speaking as truthfully as anyone can speak. Invited to, I'm challenged by another um, Christian who actually did receive and follow this all-or-nothing call of total renunciation of one's own life. Uh, an Anglican priest from the 19th century in England, a personal hero of mine. Um, let me quote from a sermon that um, he once gave, talking about how extreme this call sounds: to hate your own life, to be, as it were, dead. Did our Lord the truth mean what he said? Let me ask you an opposite question. 
did our Lord, being God, become man only that his disciples should lead as easy lives as they can, multiply to themselves as many comforts and luxuries as they can, say to our souls of the rich man whose soul was that night demanded of him to give account of his stewardship, Soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry, so only that thou be not drunken. Is his law, thou canst not serve God and mammon, obsolete? Or is what he declared impossible, and cannot be my disciple, become possible with time? Are we to turn our Lord's woes into blesseds and his blesseds into woes and still call ourselves his disciples? Shall we say, blessed are ye that are rich? Blessed are ye that are full? And woe unto you that are poor, woe unto you that hunger now. It is what men's everyday lives, what our boasts that we English understand our comforts, what our self-gratulations seem to say. The message then of this death of self, just to be clear, isn't just um, renounce sin. Of course that's a piece of it. That's actually but a smaller and a prior call to repent of sin. It's not even just renouncing the most exorbitant luxuries. And I find myself doing this as sort of a member of the middle class to say, well, I, I didn't do that luxury, as if I could afford that anyways. <laughs> it's not just living with your mean, within your means or denying yourself some small pleasures during Lent. It's a total denial. St. Bede says, to renounce all things, that is, so to hold the things of this world as by them not to be held in the world. St. Paul would give extended teaching to this in 1 Corinthians. Those who have dealings with the world as if they did not. To live as if you were dead. So the figure I want to impress on your minds is what's impressed on my mind this week is actually the figure of a corpse. It's an unpleasant picture, intentionally so. Think about what a dead man or dead woman does or doesn't do. One of the ways in which I feel very challenged by the scripture is how much I still, in sort of when I think about my day, I'm organizing my time according to what do I want to do today without actually pausing and saying, Lord, what would you have me do today? But think about a dead man. Does a dead man carry himself anywhere? No, he can't choose anywhere to go. He has to be carried. And I think there's a figure here that to be dead in the flesh, to be crucified with Christ, means to be carried along by the Spirit, going only where God would have us go, saying what God would have us say, rather than just the impulses of desire. And the sort of mirror, the other side of the coin of this, one of the ways in which I've really success in my own mind, how um, insufficiently I've heeded Christ's call in this gospel, is... Um, how upset I get when I don't get my way. And that's a sure sign. Think, does a corpse get upset? No. It's completely passive and neutral to the frustrations of the world. And that's a figure, actually an aspirational figure for us, that we would be crucified with Christ. That when we don't get what we want, when parenting can be difficult, when a business thing is not what you want, when a career thing is not what you want, when a relationship is painful, 
obviously, it's not we don't pretend to be Stoics. We still have emotions, but in terms of how much we allow it to overthrow us and be so upset and frustrated and angry, anger is the surest sign of thwarted self-will. When we get upset, clearly, we have not been crucified yet with Christ. We're still living according to our own wills. And just to be clear, this is not some counsel of perfection for the the monks or the super-Christians of the past, right? This is just the call to discipleship. He says, he turns to the crowd. How's this for a church growth strategy? He's got a crowd following him, and he turns and sort of says, no, the standards are much more intense than you thought. He's sifting them. Just to be a disciple, cannot be my disciple, is the language. And Christ, in every instance, doesn't call us to do anything that he himself has not fully done. Right? As he revealed several times in his ministry, I do only what I see the Father doing. I speak only what the Father tells me to speak. And then we see in Gethsemane, culminating on the cross, the total giving over of his life to the will of the Father. His giving over his life for us. He did for love for us what he then calls us to do in love, in response. Not only to deny things, but to deny our very self and yield our whole directive will, 100% of it, to God. And in thinking about the difficult teaching which Jesus says, um, unless you hate mother, father, wife, brother, sister, I think this also admits of a metaphorical sense uh, of our church family, and I don't just mean our parish, but like our global church family. It's an irony, but uh, predicted by the Lord, that if we take Christ's call seriously, we'll stick out in a very, in a somewhat uncomfortable way, even amidst our family, our peers, our parish family, other Christians that we know. There'll be something kind of awkward, and the, these sort of strange terms of derision, I'm, I'm sure, will be given to us. You know, oh, he's he takes it all too seriously. Or, oh, oh she's, she's overzealous. Right? The, the sort of um, the libel of the lukewarm. We will actually have to sometimes, as it were, hate a sort of Christian culture that we're just used to as a baseline to go beyond it to follow Jesus the Master in total self-denial. I actually just want to conclude with prayer to that end. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you've challenged us with a very high calling and a strong message in the gospel this morning. And I pray that you would give us each here, gathered right now, grace to respond to your calling to yield more of our wills, more of our entire lives to you. That in time, by your grace, by your power operating in us, we might be able to say in good faith, just as your servant Paul did, that we have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. No longer us who live, but Christ in us. So I pray you give us courage and discernment and diligence to be your disciples in this way that you might be glorified in our midst and that we might reflect with true gratitude the enormity of your gift for us, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.